podcast was recorded remotely in May 2020. And in this episode of Off Brand, Vicky had a chat with Peter Gandhi. Peter has helped many leading corporates as well as startups find success in the digital realm and is now the managing director at Reason. In this episode, Peter breaks down his thoughts on digital transformation and explains why right now customers are prioritizing engagement over perfection. Hi Peter, lovely having you here today. Just to kick things off, um, your current role is Managing Director at Reason. Can you tell me a little bit about what your day-to-day involves? So look, Reason, uh, we've been around for about seven years. Um, we're currently about 40 people. Um, the team spans a number of disciplines. So we've got strategists, we've got designers, some engineers, um, and some project managers. Um, we work with major brands, predominantly around retail and financial services. So Levi's, um, Ralph Lauren, UBS, Deutsche Telekom, the sorts of businesses that we work with. In a, in a really simple sort of way, we, we design, build and launch digital products. Um, we like to keep things very simple. We do that across three areas. Um, firstly, we help businesses to do what they do today in a better way. Um, so think of that around automating manual process. Um, we help them create brand new products and services. And the third way, which is a, a growing part of our business, is we help them to create new business models. So think of helping a business enter uh, new markets, for example. Um, but in terms of my role, it's managing director. Um, so formally, I am responsible for business performance, for governance, working with stakeholders. And within the management team that we have, I'm also responsible for all commercial activity within the business as well. I'm aware you embrace different methodologies such as Agile, Kanban, Waterfall um, in your approach at Reason. And have you seen any challenges when communicating new ways of working like that with your clients? Um, One of the biggest challenges with stuff like Agile is clients often understand it and nod along with Agile, but tend to want to work waterfall um, just because that's how they work. That's how they, they work as a business. So, you know, you've got to have the flexibility to to work across multiple methodologies. You can't just be, we do this, that's it, deal with it. It's, it's taking the best bits and applying them to the way the customer works, the best thing for the project. Um, but the, the underlying theme on all of it is we're trying to do things small steps quickly, you know, validate, brilliant, go. If it fails, let's fail fast, let's stop that and let's do something else. Um, But it's all about pace and moving quickly, but doing it all on data points effectively. Make your decisions based on the data rather than your gut feel. And like you were saying about bringing the team or the client's team on the journey and being able to provide almost like evidence quite quite ahead in the project to get everyone on board. I've certainly found on the projects I've worked on that if you bring those clients' teams on too soon, they're almost a bit disappointed. I don't know if you've found this, but they're almost like, is that it? <laughs> so I wondered if you had any any insights on how that's been for you um are there any ways that you come have, have found that challenge because 
um, for one particular project, I think we we did our kind of stand ups and showcases right from day zero, really. And so after the first, you know, the first week or week two, I think everyone was a bit like, well, there's nothing to see here yet, obviously, because we hadn't had a chance to get going. So have you ever have you ever come across that where you've had to like gone like no, hey, we need to take people on on the journey but clearly is this is way too soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, there are examples of that, but again, exactly as you've done, um, it's about managing expectations and and helping people understand where you are in a in a delivery and you know what they should be expecting, and I think. The, the, the point of Transform by Doing is showing them a different way of working and doing that by hands-on experience. I think people very quickly adapt to a difference in approach um, and quickly move through the disappointment phase, if that's how they feel. I, 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 I can't say that that is a, a theme of stuff when we do projects. I think, I think people are used to it. They trust you now. Um, I think people are more aware of working in a way like this anyway than they used to be. So I think people are caught up as well. Um, but yeah, it's about managing expectations day in, day out. And if you do, people tend to go with you. And it's about trust as well, isn't it, on any project team? I, th I think the biggest the biggest turning point, tipping point is a nice phrase you used, is once you've gone through your first deliverable and they see the impact, then that's the biggest tipping point. And that's why, again, um, an approach like ours, where you start smaller and do it very fast, you can get to that point more quickly. And, and then you have advocates, and then they go and tell their colleagues that it was amazing and you should do this. And yeah, yeah, don't worry about the start. It's a bit whatever. If we got here in this time, which is much quicker than we've done, and we did this, and, we, and they, they start to be your advocates then, and that's really helps with driving change because the companies that recognize those advocates and use them to help sell it into other people who are coming into the journey um, it's just so valuable because you reduce resistance because it's peers telling each other this is great just get on and do it and typically what are the sort of just to just to give me a bit of a feel for the sorts of sizes of businesses you work with is there a sort of typical sort of i don't know like average turnover with the companies that you deal with no, not really. Um, I mean, if, if I gave you a criteria that we would look for, we look for typically uh, FTSE 250 um, size companies. So our model is to partner over the long term and to have a team in there um, over the long term. So the FTSE 250 is literally, they need to be of a size where they have a budget that can sustain a team. Um, you know, we're not a business that likes to go into a project, disappear, never see a client again. We like to stay there. Um, and that requires you to have either a monster project, which goes on for a couple of years, or to have a program of multiple projects, which a team can work across over the 12 months. Um, so really, the only real criteria is, can, can they sustain a budget? that would justify a team being with them over the long term. So, and they would typically be larger brands, 4250 sort of size. Mm. And could you tell me a little bit more about the journey you tend to take these businesses on? We, we use language like human-centered. So yes, a number of businesses have you know, worked out you need to focus solutions on your end user. 
But when we talk about human-centred, it's like, but there are other people involved in delivering a project to address the end user's needs and problems and requirements. And who are they? So, you know, what what people do you need to have in place? Do you need to have call centres? Do you need to have online chat to to answer questions for people? What, um, what business processes do you need to have in place to get the data that you're capturing and present that in dashboards and how are you going to do that? So throughout the process, um, you know, and technically what's, what's the technical implications um, on having this project and keeping it up. So as we go through the very early stages, we're, we're identifying key people in the business um, and, and basically getting them engaged and working on it. So in a sense, the handover has started because you're working with the people that are going to be running it in life. And, so that, that's part of the journey we go on. Yes, there is a natural conclusion because our model is we build stuff and then we do hand over the IP to a client. But the um, we often, as, as you were just saying, we are often maintained because we will go with, we call it a first release. A lot of people like the language of minimum viable product as the, um, the first deliverable. But, you know, that means that's the easiest thing to get to market to address a need, but there are other features, functionality that can be added to it. So we will stay involved in projects like that where they want to add capability to it to help them work out, okay, what are the right features and how do we prioritize which one of those we do first and what does that look like and do our customers even care about that feature and, you know, validating it. So you're continually going through that loop of test and learn. Um, and as I say, the way we work, yes, we, we like partnering over the long term. So the team is there, but what we're trying to do from very early days is find out how the business is going to be running in life, get the right people involved, get the training done that's needed so that they understand so they can start taking ownership. Um, so it's, it's a continual process, but it doesn't mean that we'll suddenly stop and then pull out. We typically carry on our involvement to help them evolve the product. Have you noticed any difference between small and large companies in terms of their ability and speed at which they're able to innovate and transform? Or is it the same across the whole spectrum? I, I think there are examples across the spectrum. I think it's easier for smaller businesses to react more quickly. Um, by nature, they're more agile. Um, but then conversely, they often don't have the backing, the financial backing that a larger company will have. Um, but I think there are examples across the board. Um, we've got one company, um, which you may not know, uh, a client called Wall Street English. Um, they are a in-centre English language learning business. So you go into physical centres to learn English around the world. Um, that is a physical proposition. Um, their two biggest markets are China and Italy which have been decimated, as we all know, um, over the last four months. Um, and they, and they've been talking about digital transformation for a while and starting that journey, but not diving. Uh, because their business mix had changed so much, they had to get an online solution out there um, because all the centers were closed. So they managed to do that within four weeks. Uh, you know, that's brave, that's bold, that's urgent, and that's, Damned impressive, to be fair. And it gave, you know, solved a need for their customers saying, you know, how do we learn English? We can't go into centres. Um, so, you know, they're, they're a smaller uh, example. And I, and I think 
I think it's incredible what they've done. So, and that has also accelerated their thinking on their strategy now around digital transformation of it is omnichannel from now on. It's not just in centre. We need both. We need it all. Um, and we've got to keep listening to our customers and understanding when they want to interact online, when they want to interact in a centre and make sure we're there at the right times for, for our customers. So, so I, I, think, I think small companies are able to do it just as quickly as well as the large ones. Hmm. That's really interesting, isn't it? How quickly they've adapted. I mean, four weeks. Yeah, that is very impressive. Wow. It, it, it's brilliant. Um, that's, was it necessity is the mother of invention. So, you know, um, but, but again, that's some of the great stories. And I'm sure there's going to be loads of stories coming out of this. And, mm. you know, if, if digital transformation as a label means that we can put all of those examples into a part called digital transformation and we can learn from them, um, I think it helps everybody. Mm. Absolutely. Everybody. Mm. Everyone's had to do fourth behavioural change now. <laughs> So actually when they're going back into work, people are already thinking differently. And I personally know from my own experiences of speaking some of our clients and some of our kind of um, community of agency friends is people are thinking about even how they work, where they work differently. So I think there's gonna be quite a rapid um, adoption of of people changing their businesses for the better. and perhaps not being so afraid of those changes. I think that's bang on, um, Vicky. And, and, and I just hope that what we're seeing and experiencing now, because of the crisis, people take, embrace and emphasise rather than go back to how we were. Um, you talk about being brave. You know, there's a lot of stuff that everybody is seeing and talking about at the moment with the crisis is... There's bravery, which is fabulous to see, because people have to have to react. There's a lot more JFDI going on than if there ever used to be. There's a lot more urgency now. Um, I've bored of the amount of people who've told me the story about Microsoft Teams taking six months to get um, into the business, and as soon as everyone went remote working, they did it in six days, eight days, ten days. You know, I can give you. <laughs> Five examples of businesses have told me that. So, so there's an urgency and a can-do attitude that wasn't there before. And and again, the crisis is forcing us to change behaviours. Fantastic that is. Um, and I think also the thing that's most most exciting for me at the moment is customers are so bored at home um, and just getting these beautiful updates from brands telling them what they're doing about the crisis and and you know uh, safeguarding and stuff they're really just looking to engage with the brands that they know and love. And as a result, they're much happier to take something that isn't perfect and isn't beautifully formed. They just want to interact. Um, And that lowers a bar, which means you can do things so much quicker. And if you add that to bravery and add that to urgency, that's exciting to me. And I just desperately hope the post-crisis when we all go back, that will be amplified. I find it really interesting your take on how customer expectations have um, potentially got a little bit lower um, and that perhaps they're a little bit more willing than normal to take things that's you know a bit rough around the edges. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about this? It's not, maybe, maybe it's unfair to say expectations are lower, but I think really what I'm trying to say is that they will accept something that's not perfect at the moment. Um, if you look at the fact that everybody is just at home, locked down, 
dealing, you know, with the same group of people day in, day out and missing all the contact that they have. Um, they need something to keep their interest going and they, they want to hear from their favourite brand. So I think what it is, is if, if a brand makes the effort to put something out there and does it quickly, because obviously this is a timeline on this crisis, um, and, and get something out that is interesting and interactive and that they can use and it helps pass the time, then people are happy to accept that, yes, it's not perfect. But you're trying and you're doing something to help me get through this. And that's what they want from brands. So, you know, being creative around that is is something that's such an opportunity. You've seen people doing, you know, some brands get behind, you know, virtual pubs and all of these quizzes, just making the effort to make this an easier existence at a difficult time. People appreciate it. And, and I'm not suggesting the consumer will accept rubbish at all but i do think they will tolerate something that's not perfectly executed but does work and helps them get through this so so i think i think that's really where the opportunity is and those things can be quite quick and they can be quite cheap so when you and i talk about the fact there's an opportunity here to act rather than do nothing whilst you're also trying to implement your survival plan you know it doesn't necessarily have to be a really expensive uh, solution that you're working on it can be quite simple and relatively cheap mm. but something that is high perceived value for the customers so the conversation is changing to what can we do we would like to do things can we do that in very short time rather than the three six month time frame it takes normally to get a, a product out so so yeah I, I, definitely a change that's coming in that front um, and my final question, which is I ask everyone, and it's just a little bit of a jokey one. Um, and if you've listened to some of our other podcasts, you probably know it's coming. So you're, you're in Slough and you're stuck there for four hours and you're not allowed the internet, a laptop or a phone. What would you do, Peter, to pass the time? Um, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that's a quite a depressing question. I, I would um, I would go to my my in-laws because <laughs> they live within Slough, just outside of Slough. So I'd just walk to theirs um, and be very well looked up, actually, and then go back if I needed to go back or then just go home. <laughs> <Cool>. That's very <laughs> handily placed. So thanks for, for joining, Peter. It was really great to speak to you. Fabulous. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Thank you.